my name's Ben. Um, I've been a member of Christ First now for like eight years. Here we go. Right, so I know most of you, um, and I do enjoy preaching uh, for you guys, so uh, I hope you enjoy this too, like I enjoy doing all of this. So um, I've, got a, I've got some challenges, but it should be an overall quite a positive message, so should all be good. Um, I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to start by talking about the parables more generally, and then I'm going to talk about the parable of the rich fool. But before I do, I'm just going to pray quickly. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you that in your generosity, we receive your abundant, overflowing love and blessing every day. I pray that through the words I've prepared, we might learn to experience your generous provision more keenly and be drawn together as one mind through our daily worship and remembrance of you. Amen. Cool. So we all know that Jesus teaches by parables, with parables by now, like, figured that out. Um, sort of everyday stories and analogies for, taken from everyday life. Um, but why does Jesus use parables? Uh, why illustrate the most high God with just sort of boring everyday stories? Why be so irreverent? And why be so obscure? Like, he could have been much more clear in the way that he taught. Um, you know, why not just give a practical step-by-step -step guide on how to get rid of sin? Um, that exists already. It's in the Bible. It's Leviticus. Where's my first slide? Let's see if this works. There we go. The book of Leviticus is a practical step-by-step -step guide on how to get rid of sin. Why wouldn't you want to read that? Everyone should read Leviticus. Um, but today, I'm hopefully going to show you why Jesus uses parables, and I'm going to use some audience participation. Round of applause for audience participation. Yes, nice. I'm going to accidentally click on a slide as well. Um, but there we go. Right. <laughs> so um, we're going to do we're going to do some we're going to do a quiz. We're going to do a quiz question. Um, I hope you're ready at home because we're all ready here. We've all done the round of applause, so that means we're all ready. Right, because um, I, I want to get us all joining in again. Here's the slide. There we go. We're back to here. Um, and on the point of joining in, so I wanted to interrupt myself here because um, Ali, my wife, and I, we've been visiting cathedrals lately. Uh, we've visited Ely Cathedral, and most recently we've been to Wells Cathedral. We're trying to visit every cathedral in England. Um, this, this stained glass is from Ely Cathedral. Um, and something that, something that I've noticed that I don't like about cathedrals these days is they're all kind of set up to be like museums. They're, they're historical pieces, like something dead from the past. Um, they, they ask you to imagine how it was. But the Christ I believe in is alive today. He's, you know, and the church is alive, it's active. And you know, it's not just some artistic spectacle that, that we just, um, just we haven't got a connection to. It's just there for us to look at and enjoy. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to forget this when you do a year and a half of Sundays on Zoom, just looking at a screen. But, you know, church isn't just something that you watch. You know, church isn't like Disney+. Plus. Um, and, you know, it... It's easy to lose touch with things. You know, I'll admit, I've not been super connected myself. Like, I felt a bit disconnected, like, just sort of watching this record of a thing. Um, but we are one living body. And we're part of the same church that built those cathedrals. And, 
you know, we've got the same Christ giving us life. And this is why we all come together on Sundays. It's to express that unity. And, you know, if people can manage to gather together and maybe eat something and watch something on Disney Plus, and, you know, people can walk around with uh, Spider-Man and Iron Man logos on their T-shirts and, you know, kids can have paintings of Disney princesses on the walls, then surely we can be thinking about how we're going to participate in our religion a bit more. Um, you know, what about Bible characters on the walls? What about wearing a cross on your chest? You know, let's live our lives in the Christian story. We're not superheroes. We're not princesses, even though we pretend sometimes. But we are saints. And church isn't Disney+. Plus. And, and Disney Plus isn't church. Now, that wasn't totally related to everything else I'm going to be talking about today. But... Um, Hopefully you can see it illustrates my point. We need to participate. We need to get involved. So um, let's get into it. Um, you can do this if you're watching at home on Zoom too. Um, I've got a memory test for you um, because we didn't do the, we didn't do the quiz, uh, the X1 quiz this month. So this is for you quiz people. This is a chance to get your quiz fix. Um, I'm going to read 10 short sentences. And I want you to see how many of these short sentences you remember. Are you ready? Are you ready for the 10 sentences? Ready. ready. Memory test. Okay. There is a blue house. The house sits up high on white stilts. The house has a red roof. The house has steps leading up to it. The house is surrounded by palm trees. There is a car parked under the house. The house is surrounded by a white fence. The house has a dome-shaped roof. The house has a white porch. There is a convertible car parked under the house. Those are your 10 sentences. Uh, to help you remember, I'm going to give you a picture of the house. Um, for a bonus point, can anyone tell me who lives in this house? Does anyone know who lives in this house? Oh, no, it's a bonus. It's a bonus question. Do you know who lives in this house? Not Bob the Builder. This is Lilo and Stitch's house. If you know about Lilo and Stitch. Okay. Um, so everyone put your hands up. Two hands up. Right, I'm going to read five more sentences. If you hear a sentence you've already heard before, I want you to wave your right hand. My left, your right. Wave your right hand if you hear a sentence you've heard before. And I want you to wave your left hand if it's a brand new, unique sentence you haven't heard before, okay? Right hand when you hear one you've heard before. Left hand, my right, your left, if, you, if, you, if it's a unique sentence, right. Are you ready for the five new sentences? Cool. The house has a red front door. The house has a pitched roof. The house has walls painted blue. The house is surrounded by green plants. There is a green car parked under the house. Most of you did pretty well there. They were all unique sentences. None, all of them were, were, none of them were repeats. But it's hard, it's hard, right? Because, because memory is a bad way to memorize things. That's not what memory's for. Memory is a bad way to memorize things. We don't have a computer memory that just like logs sentences and uh, you know, to recall it. It's not like a list. 
Um, we wouldn't need kind of computers and lists if our brains already worked that way. We wouldn't need them. They would already work that way. So what is memory for? How does memory work? The way human memory is designed to work is to take all the bits of information and put it together into an image in our minds. I made that easier for you with the, with the image of the house. So we don't just remember one discrete sentence at a time. We remember how all those bits of information come together to form something in our minds, and each piece of information reveals something of that image to us. And this is what the parables are like. Instead of just a list of statements like the Ten Commandments, or instead of just a set of instructions like Leviticus, um, or just some rewards and punishments or something, Jesus gives us examples in everyday life stories from different perspectives. And we can put it together in our minds and it reveals an image to us. And then Jesus adds to the parables the story of his life, death, and resurrection, the story we call the gospel. Um, and when we remember these stories in our heads, and when we join all of these things together, we have an image that we can use in our own lives, like a, like a map that shows us the way. And with that image, we can understand and endure things that we might have never seen or experienced or even imagined before um, by, by remembering Jesus and the image he has revealed to us through the parables and, and through the scriptures, through his teachings. And, you know, this is why it's not just enough to memorize a Bible verse. We have to remember what we read in the Bible. You see the difference? So even though each individual parable that Jesus tells us might not seem totally related at first, um, they all connect together in Christ to form a coherent picture. Because you know, Christ, Christ is the revealed image of the invisible God. Uh, and so this is why we read the parables. And we remember Christ and his teaching through the scriptures. You know, so... This just makes me want to read the Bible. So I'm going to, we're going to read the Bible now. So um, we're going to read Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start from verse 13, the parable of the rich fool. Here, Jesus is in the middle of giving a sermon, um, and he's kind of rudely interrupted mid-flow. Um, so we've got the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's where we get the phrase from. It's in the Bible. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, tonight your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So let's break this down quickly. So he's mid-speech. Someone calls out to him and says, Oi, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Because back then, uh, you, you didn't just inherit money. 
you inherited like land and animals and you were in charge of the family and all of its businesses. So it made sense that it all falls on mostly one person, usually the eldest brother. But here we've got the younger brother here is saying that he wants his fair share of the inheritance. Um, he wants, he wants his fair share of the stuff. So he calls out to Jesus because Jesus is meant to be like an authority on this. And Jesus is kind of short with him. Jesus says, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? He's basically saying like, no, you can figure this one out on your own, actually. I'm not your lawyer. And also kind of secretly under that, I think he's kind of going, and please don't interrupt me while I'm in the middle of a sermon, mate, actually. Um, but he then says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of one's possessions. Basically, be careful about wanting more stuff because there's much more to life than stuff. And so that's the setup for the parable. It's about, he's talking about how should we be thinking about wanting more stuff? Um, and then the parable itself is a pretty simple image. A guy randomly has a good year with his crops. He's more than he needs at the end of the harvest. And he decides to store it all up so that he can retire on that, um, live out a few years, just eat, drink, and be merry. And, and then promptly, he dies. That's what it means when it says your soul is required of you. He dies. And then what use for all of his extra crops in storage then? And this isn't as well-known a parable like the Good Samaritan or the Lost Sheep, which is mentioned before. But I was asked to speak on a parable, and I was reading this, and, and it kind of jumped out at me because it reminded me of a few things. Um, the first thing it reminded me of was this. Because um, I'm a personal trainer, made me think of healthy eating. And um, who has leftovers stored up in their fridge right now? There you go. Uh, you know, any like, bit of extra sauce, any bit of bread. Um, has anyone done diet stuff with me before? I know there's a couple of people. Have done, right, there you go, a few of you. Um, can, does anyone know what I tell people to do with leftovers? Can you remember those people that have done stuff? Obviously, I'm a very good teacher. <laughs> so um, I, say, I say, throw it away. Ali knows. She's been listening to this. We practice this. So throw it away. I say, throw it away. Throw away your leftovers. If you have extra food, throw it in the bin. Not because I want you to waste it, but precisely because I don't want you to waste the, waste the food. Um, the waste is buying more food than you need in the first place. That's where the waste is. So um, if you force yourself to throw away the extra stuff, it makes you be mindful about what you're actually, what you actually need. Um, so I say, get rid of all the just-in-case food. And you know, don't eat everything on your plate if you're not hungry anymore. And, um, and that you know, changes your mindset about what you really need. Because it's easy to get used to just how much extra stuff we have in our lives. Um, you know, we take it for granted. Because we, all, we all have more than we need. If you drove here in a car today, you've got more than you need. If you're watching this on the internet, you've got more than you need. Um, you know, if you've got more calories on your plate than you need to stay alive, you've got more than you need. We have so much extra stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. God loves giving us more than we need. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Jesus never says that having too much is a bad thing. He just says, take care. This parable isn't about greed. It's about what you do with your leftovers. 
So the modern, the modern day answer to this problem of everyone having too much is to make everything fair. Everything has to be fair. Uh, make sure everyone has exactly what they need, and uh, if there's too much left over, they have it taken from them, and they've got to give it to somebody who has less. Uh, this is so kind of baked into the, the way our culture, the way we think about things. It's the way we think about tax. It's the way we think about the very rich. Um, and we live in a world that puts a price on everything and, and is constantly keeping track of like who has what and what goes where. And we're so concerned with things being fair. You know, like, like, the, like the younger, sorry, yeah, the younger brother who wanted his fair share of the inheritance. Um, but let's look at what Jesus says about things being fair. Have I got it here? Yes. This is in Matthew. Uh, this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. You'll have heard this before. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And to the one who asks you, do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if, you greet, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can you see how Jesus isn't concerned at all about things being fair? He wants us to be generous, even to those people that take from us. Why? Because he's much more concerned about how we represent God. You know, how we can be children of our Father in heaven is what it says in the passage. How we can be examples of his image in the world. So fairness is not the answer. We're not going to keep track of who deserves what. So here's the other thing this parable reminded me of. Um, I've got another quiz question for you. Who is the richest man in the Bible in terms of like money, gold? Solomon. King Solomon. Perfect. Um, I've got a, here's a picture of him for you, all of his wealth. Um, I've got another bonus question. Who is, who, who's the woman supposed, I've censored her bare chest for the sake of modesty. Um, who's, Queen of Sheba, perfect, 10 points to Steve. Queen of Sheba, Ali said Bathsheba, Bathsheba is his mum. It's easy to get confused. Um, so yeah, although Solomon was famous for being the wisest king of the United Kingdom of of Israel before it was fractured into Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Um, the book of one Kings traces his downfall as he gets more and more rich and gets seduced into foolish ways, let's say. Um, when Solomon counted up the weight of the gold he was receiving each year, it was 666 talents. That's about 25 tons of gold every year he was receiving. And what did he do with that gold? He made this huge throne for himself. Look at it, with all the lions. 
Uh, this is from 1 Kings. The king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid in fine gold. The throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of the step. Nothing like it had ever been made in any other kingdom. This display of wealth. But here's something else that Solomon built with that. That is the first temple. A little bit more impressive than the lion throne, right? Uh, here's a bit of the description from the Holy of Holies in the first temple from 1 Kings. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. Cubits about a foot and a half. Um, he overlaid the inside with pure gold, and he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold and extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid with gold the altar that belonged in the inner sanctuary. This whole thing is covered with pure gold on the inside. Um, it's an unashamed display of massive wealth. He could have given that money to the poor. But that's not the point. What's the point here? There's nothing wrong with having an abundance of wealth. It's about who it's for. There's nothing wrong uh, with being rich. It's not about not being rich. It's about not being a rich fool. So what makes you a rich fool? Uh, let's go back to the passage to find out. So uh, and I want you to pay attention to who this guy is doing all of this for. Um, I'm going to skip over a bit. And get to da, 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 da. he he thought to himself what shall i do for i have nowhere to store my crops and he said i will do this i will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there i will store all my grain and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink and be merry but god said to him fool Look at how ridiculous that is. Like, oh, I wonder what I should do about all my stuff that I own that's mine. Oh, who should I ask? Oh, I know, I'll ask myself. Me, what should I do with all my stuff? I know, uh, uh, you should keep it all to yourself. Oh, great idea, me. He's not. In all of his excitement about all of this extra stuff that God has blessed him with, he's forgotten about God entirely. And we're supposed to remember God. Not just memorize God but to keep God in mind, to turn to him, to live in unity with the Father, to be an example of his, an example of his image, to participate in his story, to join with the same body of people that built that temple and built those cathedrals. Turn, to turn the end of me into a W, turn it round. We, exactly, all together, all worshipping Christ, who out of his overflowing generous love offers up his eternal body for us. It's because of God's love that we all have more than we need in the first place. And so God says to us today, your soul is required of you. But this is a good thing because that means that we die and Christ lives in us. So that means we can give our leftovers, our, our food, our time, our lives, our money, all for the glory of God as generous offerings that 
flow from us, even to our enemy. And that's how we become rich towards God. Heavenly Father, thank you that when we gather in the name of your Son, he is here physically living in us. Thank you, Jesus, that your body, broken on the cross, made a way for us to come to the Father, even in our sin. And by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, we can join with the saints in the eternal life of the church. Thank you for generously providing bread for us to strengthen this body and wine to cleanse it of sin. Thank you that we have more than we need, far more than we deserve. Amen.